We have a lot of notes today, and uh, just so you know, we probably won't get through them all. I'll do the best I can, but I may know God's in control. Well, we'll do our best, all right? Let's lift up our Bibles, smartphones, iPads, whatever you have your Bible on, let's make our prayer declaration together. Say this with me. This is my Bible. God's holy word. This book is alive, and it's powerful. I read other books, but this is the only book that reads me. There are many opinions, but this is the only opinion that counts. Today, I declare by faith, I can do all it says I can do. I can be all it says I can be, and I can have all it says I can have. Today, I ask the Lord Jesus, the living word, to take his written word and personalize it for my life so I can leave here changed by the power of the Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, today the title of my message is Help is on the Way. And uh, do any of you remember the song that was inspired by the Holy Spirit through the Beatles in 1965 called Help? It came out when I was in fifth grade. Now, before we sing it, just a second. It came out when I was in fifth grade, and my brother Pinky and some of his friends started a, a music group called the Mustangs. Pinky was their bass player, and he lasted a couple months until they figured out he couldn't play the bass, and so they replaced him. But, but I remember them singing on Mother's Day in front of our grade school, and one of the songs they sang was... Help, I need some. You know I need someone. Help. When I was younger, so much younger than today. Okay, never mind, we'll stop. I didn't sing that because I want you to come back next week, okay? But I bring that song up to you because that's how the disciples are feeling in this chapter. And uh, you may or may not know this, but John 13, 14, 15, and 16 are one entire discourse or conversation between Jesus and the disciples that take place at the Last Supper. What happens is we read John 13, where Jesus washed the feet of the disciples, and then he tells them he's going to the cross, and they're like, yeah, okay, okay. But that whole thing, those four chapters, are that conversation. So at this supper, Jesus wants to prepare his disciples and instruct them from, for some very important events that are going to take place in their lives and, and his life. And uh, he wants to put it on their radar for the next days, weeks, months, and years to come. So Jesus tells them over and over again in each of these chapters, I'm going to die. I'm going to leave you. And then he says, Things are going to get worse before they get better. Now, I want you to picture them uh, sitting in a circle. They're eating, and they're hearing this. Look at verse 1. It says, these things I have spoken to you, speaking of the previous chapters, 13 through 15, that you should not be made, so that you should not be made to stumble. In other words, so you won't give up on your faith. I, I just want you to know, Jesus never promises when you give your life to him that life will be easy. It's not a promise. It'll be better because Jesus is with you, but it doesn't mean it's going to be easy. So it says here, 
verse 2, they will put you out of the synagogues, out of the churches. Yes, the time is coming that whoever kills you will think that he offers God a service or that he's doing God a favor. And these things they will do to you because they have not known the Father nor me. But these things I have told you that when the time comes, you may remember that I told you of them. And these things I did not say to you at the beginning because I was with you. Now, I don't know about you, but if I was sitting around this little circle, uh, leaning on each other's shoulders and eating food, I I just want you to know these would not be comforting words. They're going to kill you, and they're going to throw you out of church. Uh, And these guys are wondering, what did we get ourselves into by following this guy? That's how Lois felt when she married me. What did I get myself? (laughs) They were thinking, this Messiah is going to, this is what they, they believe. This Messiah, we signed up for you to overthrow the Romans, and they're going to get some special seats at this king's uh, um, kingdom and some special authority in this kingdom. But Jesus is telling them they're going to throw you out of the synagogues and possibly kill you. And they're thinking to themselves, help, I need somebody, not just anybody. So verses 5 through 7 say, but now I go away to him who sent me, and none of you ask me, where are you going? In other words, let me just talk. They're, they're so concerned about themselves, wow. they're not concerned about what's happening to Jesus. And it says, but because I've said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is your, to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I depart, I will send him to you. And so he's saying, take heart, boys. Help is on the way. I'm leaving, and it's only coming if I leave, and you'll find help. So I have found I always have needed help from the time I was born. I needed help to learn to talk. I needed help to learn to walk. I needed help to learn to feed myself, to ride a bicycle, to, how to, to learn how to swim. Uh, I needed help all the way school, through school, especially in math. I hate math. Okay, but anyway. I know hate's not a good word to use, but that's literally how I feel about math. Okay. <laughs> I, I needed help in sports. That's why I had coaches. I needed help in our marriage. Lois doesn't, after 46 years, she needs no help. But I need help on how to love her the way she needs to be loved. And to this day, as old as I am, I still need help on how to prepare a sermon for you. Every week, Lois will tell you this, that I agonize in prayer, God, please help this be a living word to these people. I don't want it to just be words. I want it to be words inspired by the Holy Spirit that touch you right where you live. And I need help, not just anybody. I need the help of the Holy Spirit every single day and every week. So I've always needed help, but I always haven't been good at asking for help. Growing up in my family as a man, uh, you were considered weak if you needed help. You, you, you learned to tough it out. They'd say, pick up your, pull up your big girl panties and get, get on with it. They'd say, and, and crying was a sign of weakness. So if there was any way possible, I never showed tears. Now, sadly, let me just say this. Growing, my growing up is how many Christians live out their Christian experience. It, 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 help is available, 
but you don't ask for it. And so in chapters 14 through 16, Jesus tells them, help is on the way. He hasn't forgotten you. He knows exactly your situations, knows exactly where you're at, and he's telling you, you're not here by accident today. You're here on purpose, and the Lord and the Holy Spirit is talking to your life, all right? Now, he's saying, in these tough times that you're going to face, I'm going to give you a helper, and his his name is the Holy Spirit, and he will assist you to overcome everything you face. He's not a ghost. He's a person, all right? And the same is true for you and me as believers today. Uh, The New Testament refers to the Holy Spirit 260 times uh, by a number of different names. And this chapter tells us what the Holy Spirit does in the world with unbelievers and believers alike. In John 14, Jesus introduces the Holy Spirit uh, to his disciples and defines what kind of helper uh, he is sending them. All right? So John 14, let's go over there for a moment, in verse 15 through 17. If you love me, keep my commandments, and I will pray the Father, and he will give you another helper. By the way, if you want to know if somebody loves Jesus, just see how they keep the commandments. Just a thought. (laughs) And don't look at somebody and say, you're not keeping them. Look at your own life. All right. And I will pray the Father, and he will give you another helper that he may abide with you forever. The spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive, listen, this is why the the world cannot receive the Holy Spirit, uh, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him for he dwells with you and will be in you. They, They don't know him, but they will, all right? Four times in this discourse over the four chapters at the Last Supper, Jesus refers to the Holy Spirit with the title helper. The Holy Spirit has many titles, but Jesus chose this one because the disciples were feeling helpless. And some of you may be feeling the same way with all the things that are going on in your life, in your finances, in your marriages, whatever it might be. But I want you to know, uh, as, as we face these end times uh, with, with the economy, with gas prices, food shortages. I just want you to know, the end times is our best time as believers. We need to know this. You have a helper given specifically to you. So here's the definition of helper. It's the Greek word parakletos, and it means one who is called alongside to help, one who contributes their assistance. Uh, it can also be translated as advocate, counselor, comforter, exhorter, intercessor, encourager, or in this case, helper. It's an amazing thing what the Holy Spirit does. It also means to envelop you, like surround you from the inside out. So I want you to picture this. If I had four people up here, I'd have the Holy Spirit walks in front of me, behind me, and either side of me, and he's inside me as well. You can't blow it if you walk with the Holy Spirit. He's, He's with you to help you in every way. So you can write this down. He's an active helper. He's an active helper in each of our lives, and he's always present to help us in whatever we have a need with or a help in. Uh, here's another thing you need to know about this helper. In verse six, or in chapter 16, no, verse 16 of chapter 14, it says this, and I will pray the Father, and he will give you another helper that he may abide with you forever. Another means there in the Greek 
It means a helper of exactly the same kind. So when Jesus tells them the Father's going to give them another helper, he's saying, boys, I've been a helper to you, but I'm leaving, and my Father's going to give you another helper exactly like I have been to you. But here's the difference. Now I'm not going to be here in just one person. I can't do it all. But the Holy Spirit comes, and in the Spirit, I'll be in every one of your lives, and whatever you need, wherever you go, the presence of God will go with you. All right? So um, just like you've turned to me, Jesus is saying, just like you turn to me in every situation, he will be your helper in everything, and all you have to do is say, Holy Spirit, help me, and he'll be there. All right? Now back to John 16 and verse 5. It says this, and he's giving three aspects of what the Holy Spirit will play out in the world and in our lives. So the first thing you can write down is his presence. And a a, a statement you could also say is, his presence is needful. Now, it says in verse five, now I go away to him who sent me, and none of you ask me, where are you going? But because I have said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth, It is to your advantage that I go away, for if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you, but if I depart, I will send him to you. So at this point, Jesus has told them, uh, he's told them what they didn't expect. He's saying, I gotta go, guys. And what they believed and wanted all along was a kingdom to be established on the earth. And if this Messiah, if this is the Messiah, he's going to establish this kingdom He's going to defeat the Romans and their tyranny over our lives and our country. And so 2,000 years ago, the Jews in Israel and the Jews in Judea had a pretty simple, straightforward eschatology or a theology of end times, which is their same belief today. So it hasn't changed. The end time events of the Messiah, here's the first one on your notes. There's going to be a national turmoil which will get us all desiring for the Messiah to come. It's going to fuel an expectation. So I I say that to you, it's no different today. But today, it's a world turmoil. And it's getting us all the desire to seek after God. So put a check mark by that one. Everyone is oppressed. Everyone wants the Messiah to come and rescue them. And they're crying out for God to show up. After this, national expectation, because of oppression... The second phase will take place, which is Elijah is going to come, or an Elijah-like forerunner is going to come. He will prepare the way for the Messiah and introduce, uh, and be able to introduce who he is. So you can put a check mark by that because John the Baptist came, and he came on the scene. By the way, do you know who the forerunner is for Jesus today? The church. It's us. We're the forerunner. We're the ones who are telling everybody, get your hearts ready. Get ready. The Messiah is going to show up. Now, that's why so many were interested in John the Baptist because they kept asking, are you Elijah? Are you the prophet? Who exactly are you? So there's this turmoil and forerunner has come. And the third phase is the Messiah will set up his kingdom. So the disciples are thinking at this point, one and two have already happened. Uh, There's turmoil uh, nationally. Uh, there's been a forerunner. So number three is going to happen at any moment. The Messiah is going to set up his earthly kingdom. The only problem is they're at the Last Supper, and in chapter 13, he tells them the news, I'm leaving, 
And they're saying, what? And he's saying, yeah, I'm leaving. And as the discourse goes on from chapters 13, 14, 15, and 16, the news goes from bad to worse. He said, I'm leaving, I'm going to be killed, I'm going to suffer greatly before I die. Now, because that is not what they expected, sorrow fills their hearts and it gets worse. In this chapter, uh, in the first four verses, which we already read, it tells us this, persecution is coming, you'll be thrown out of the churches, some will think they're doing God a service when they kill you, and they're thinking, that's great, Jesus, why didn't you tell us this before we signed up for this great adventure and start following you? And he says in verse uh, five, but now I go away to him who sent me, and none of you ask me, where are you going? But because I've said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. Do you know what that word uh, filled means? So sorrow's filled, here's what it means. It means to be dominated. It means to be filled to the brim with sorrow. So it means to be filled up so completely that there's no room for anything else in, in your little brain. So emotionally, in their minds, they're filled to the brim of sorrow, anxiety and fear, so much so that they don't have any room for the good things that are going to happen to Jesus. Now, I just want you to know, this is what happens to a lot of us. We get so filled with the things that are sorrowful to us that we don't have room anymore in our minds or bodies or emotions to help other people or to be glad for them. But he's, here's what you need to, to know that's going to happen that's good for Jesus. He's going to fulfill his mission. He's going to the cross. He's going to be raised from the dead. He's going to be reunited with his father. And he's going to, he's going to not leave us alone. All right? So verse 7 says, Nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it's to your advantage that I go away. For if you are the, uh, and if you're one of the disciples, you're saying, but it's not to my advantage that you go away. Well, how could that be? You turn water into wine. You calm storms. You heal the lame. You give sight to the blind. You raise the dead. You can feed 15 to 20,000 people with a few fish and a couple loaves of bread. How can this be that you're telling us it's to our advantage that you would leave us? I don't think this is a good idea, Jesus. They are so focused on what they think they are about to lose, they can't imagine anything better in their future. So Jesus knows they're going to need the Holy Spirit and his empowerment in their lives. And the question they would ask and we would ask is, why? Why? And the answer is this, because the task that would be given to them is far greater than they could do on their own. They need the Holy Spirit. It's called the Great Commission. Okay, here's the Great Commission in Matthew 28, 18 through 21. And Jesus came and spoke to them saying, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I've commanded you to do. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Now that is one big task. 12 guys being told to go to the whole world and tell them about Jesus Christ. And it's too big to do all alone because they will face persecution in Judea. They will face persecution in Asia Minor. They will face uh, persecution in Greece. And they will face persecution in Rome. 
And then all of them, except for John, will die a martyr's death. For believing in Jesus as the Son of God and being raised from the dead, and John, after John's the only one who didn't die a martyr's death, he's just boiled in oil and refuses to die. And then he's sentenced to the island of Patmos to die a natural death where he writes 1st, 2nd, 3rd John and the book of Revelation. So to face persecution and death sounds pretty impossible to me without some help. And I, I just want you to know, there are people in the world today that are facing martyrism because of their stand for Christ. It's happening in China. It's happening in Jordan. It's happening in Russia. It's happening in India. It's happening all over the world. And I just want you to know, this is on my notes, but I want you to get this. Just in case your theology is, well, I believe in pre-trib. And I'm not saying I don't. I don't know if I'm pre, mid, or post. I'm actually pan. I believe it'll all pan out in the end. But I just, I just, I just, I I don't know. I, but I see enough in scripture to tell you this, prepare yourself, be ready. It's going to take guts to stand up for Jesus in the days ahead. We are already facing persecution for saying, I don't believe in abortion. We're facing persecution on gender identity. If you don't believe in it, I'm sticking with the Bible. I'm not trying to be self-righteous. I'm just telling you, and I hope this summer I can do a, a, a series called How Do I Know? How do I know the Bible's true? How do I know that, what, what the difference is between Christianity and the other religions? And so don't leave this summer. You want to stick around, all right? It's going to be good. So uh, what happens then is all of them, they die this martyr's, martyr's death, and they first face persecution, which I just want you to know, as they do, The task is still the same as it was back then. It's still the same today for present disciples. And the reason for that is because most people are still unsaved and don't believe. Two-thirds of the world or more still do not know who Jesus is. They do not believe or know Jesus is the only means of salvation. And I say that because Jesus said it. I am the way, I am the truth, and no man comes to the Father except through me. You can try all the other ways, and people try it. They try alcohol, they try drugs, they try it all. But Jesus is your answer. All right. So if you were to line up all the unsaved people in the world today, put them shoulder to shoulder with no social distancing uh, that don't know Christ, you would, you would form a, a line around the earth, not once, not twice, not 10 times, but 30 times. And the line, get this, the line is growing 20 miles longer every single day. Folks, we have a big job to do, and we don't want to do it alone. We need a helper. So Jesus never said, "Uh, good luck, boys. I hope you make it. Just get out there and and don't get beat up too bad. He didn't say that. Nope. He told them in Luke 24, go, but don't go until you're filled with the power from on high. So look at this in Acts 1.8. But you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. So he's saying, I want you to go into all your world, but don't go on your own. Go with the power of the Holy Spirit. I like what D.M. Dawson said. Here's a quote. Without the power of the Holy Spirit, 
All human efforts, methods, and plans are as futile as attempting to propel a boat by puffing at the sails with your own breath. And I think we try to do this in so many ways. My finances, with my marriage, with trying to get my neighbors saved. I'm telling you, you can't do it without the power of the Holy Spirit. So his presence is needful wherever you go, wherever I go. And when you do that, you take his presence with you. It's to your advantage that he goes away. Okay, here's the second thing. Look at his pressure. Now, his pressure is unmistakable. And what I mean by that, you'll read, I'm going to read verses 8 through 12. And when he has come, he will convict the world of sin. That's pressure. And of righteousness and of judgment. Of sin because they do not believe in me. Of righteousness because I go to my Father and you see me no more. Of judgment because the ruler of this world is judged. I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. So the first thing the Holy Spirit will do uh, is he will convict the world of sin, righteousness, and judgment. That, that word convict, it means convince. Okay? So he's, he's saying this. I'm going to come and I'm going to pursue people. I'm going to chase people. I'm going to go after people. I will passionately pursue a lost world. The Holy Spirit has been called uh, the Hound of Heaven. I don't know if you've ever, there's a poem out uh, that came out in the 1800s from a man named Francis Thompson. And he wrote a poem about the Holy Spirit called the Hound of Heaven. Listen, my marriage is intact today. We came to know Jesus today because of the Hound of Heaven. He chased after us. When we were ready to give up, God said, nope. He, he would, listen, this guy was a medical student in London. He dropped out of medical school. He ran from God. He became addicted to opium. He attempted suicide while running from God until the Holy Spirit ran him down. And I'm saying, today, some of you in here, you've been running from God, and the Holy Spirit is the hound of heaven, and he's running you down. Okay. In old English, this is what it says. Uh, in this poem, I fled, uh, Francis Thompson says, I fled him down the nights and down the days. I fled him down the arches of the years. I fled him down the labyrinthine way of my own mind, which means the endless passages uh, and thoughts in my mind, which have no exit. But then in the poem, he talks about how God pursues him, and he writes this, but with unhurrying chase, an unperturbed pace. I love that. I just want you to know the Holy Spirit is unrelentless when it comes to your life, convicting you, pursuing you. He, do you remember John 15, 26 that uh, Pastor Cameron read last week? He, he shared this. He said, uh, but when the helper comes, whom I shall send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who proceeds, proceeds from the Father, he will testify of me. That means wherever the Holy Spirit goes, he will plainly tell you about who Jesus is in your life. He will open up people's understanding of who he is. And you and I would not be here today serving God if it were not for the relentless pressure, conviction of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Maybe, can you, can you remember vividly the day you came to know Christ? I, I remember I was just four years old, not just a couple months shy of turning five. And I, I remember this pastor speaking I'm in vacation Bible school, speaking on sin, and I knew immediately when he described, I was a sinner. I sassed my mom, and I fought with my brother, and I heard words and said words that my dad said. 
So I remember when he gave an altar call, I remember saying, I got to go down there. And my brother looked at me and we ran down that altar from the conviction or the pressure of the Holy Spirit. I remember the conviction or the pressure of the Holy Spirit on, the, on God's call on my life. And I remember saying, I, I don't know if I can do this. And I remember not being able to say no. I remember trying to leave Grace Harbor and move some places, someplace else because I didn't want to be here. And I remember going to Olympia, uh, just trying to get out of this place. And I, I just, you know, you know the inside voice of the Holy Spirit. Well, I, I just knew the Holy Spirit said to me, you can look all you want. You can keep trying to find a way to get out of here. But you should just get, it, get in your car, turn around, and head back home because I called you to Grace Harbor. Finally, I went, okay. And I got my car and I drove home. Of course, Lois, Lois says, I told you. I always, you know. <laughs> the Holy Spirit, by the way, also produces guilt. Now, I've heard some psychologists say that guilt is unhealthy. And that may be true, unless you're guilty. You can pretend you don't have it, but the only way to be alleviated from it is to experience the forgiveness of Jesus Christ. The Holy Spirit brings us to the place where you can be forgiven of the things or the, the choices you have made and brings you to the cross uh, where, where Jesus can say, lay the guilt here. Lay the unforgiveness here, whatever it might be, wherever you've been hurt, whatever it might be, lay it here. And one thing I've discovered is that most people need convincing that they are sinners. See, most people don't even believe in the idea that of, of sin. Sin just simply means to miss the mark. It's like a, a bullseye. It's an archery term. It means to shoot the arrow and miss the mark. And so the, what we want to do today is we want to blame everybody else for our sinful problems. So I, I want to blame my family because uh, of my family I was born into, this is why I'm the way I am. When I was a kid, uh, you could say, my dad forced me to eat spinach and I, ended up look, I didn't end up looking like Popeye. So it made me angry and I'm carrying that anger with me ever since. The, ga- the game goes all the way back to the Garden of Eden when God busted Adam for his wrongful choice and Adam blamed God first <laughs> and basically said, God, it's your fault. It's this woman you gave me. But the Holy Spirit has a way of convincing the human heart of the need for a Savior. He shines the light and truth of God on areas we never could. And by the way, convicting is not your job. It's the job of the Holy Spirit. If you try it, it'll bring condemnation. If you let God do it, it'll bring hope to a hopeless situation. Okay, so I don't have time to go through all these other things. So I'm going to go right over here. You can write down. So it's his presence, it's his pressure, and the last one to write down is his people. And his people are instrumental. And what I mean by that is this. The people of God and the Holy Spirit work in tandem together. John 16, 7 through 8 says, Nevertheless, I tell you, It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I depart, I will send him to you. And when he has come, he will convict the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. And John 15, 26 and 27. When the helper comes, whom I shall send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, who proceeds from the Father, he will testify of me and, verse 27, 
you also will bear witness because you have been with me from the beginning. So what he's saying is, you and I are God's instruments through the Holy Spirit to witness to a lost world. And, and virtually every conversion, you need to hear this, in the book of Acts was the Holy Spirit working through a Christian witness, through another person. Who, who preached the first sermon in, in Acts? Who? Peter. Peter. Now just so you know, Peter wasn't a seasoned preacher. He wasn't a seasoned sermonizer or sermonator. And he is preaching. <laughs> his, his, the people were, when, when he starts preaching, I, I want you to hear this because you don't have to be seasoned to be used by the Holy Spirit. You just need to be honest. So the people were cut to the heart. That's conviction. How did they get convicted? Was it Peter? No. It was the Holy Spirit that spoke through him. And even though it says when they even heard him talk, they said he was uneducated, unlearned. But he could speak through the Holy Spirit. And when he spoke, 2,000 people got saved. And a few days later, 3,000 people got saved. Same with Saul the Apostle who became, uh, or Saul who became the Apostle. When you read the story, it's like he had no witness, but he did. Jesus throws him off his donkey. Says another word in the King James in case you're interested. (laughs) Acts 26, 14 through 15, it says, and when we all had fallen to the ground, I heard a voice speaking to me and saying in the Hebrew language, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? It's hard for you to kick against the goats. So I said, who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. I just want you to know, the goads are the conviction of the Holy Spirit. A goad was used on stubborn animals. By the way, how many know we can be stubborn animals? Okay, and so it was a long rod with a sharp end that's used to inflict a sharp pain to get an animal to change its direction. And Jesus was telling Paul through the Holy Spirit that, that inflicting pain to Christians was bringing pain on himself. And the Holy Spirit was prodding him and convicting him and convincing him to turn his life in a different direction to serve the living Jesus. And he had had just seen uh, Stephen die, a martyr's death, and how the coats of uh, the people were throwing the stones while he watched Stephen get killed. And ever since that happened, I believe what happened to Saul is he couldn't forget Stephen's face. It says he shone like an angel. And then he said these words, Father, forgive them, because they don't know what they're doing. And Paul, in the midst of this, thinking he's doing God a favor, what he does is he begins to fall in the conviction of the Holy Spirit and gives his life to the Lord. And then there was Cornelius, uh, his story. He had an angel appear to him, so here is this unbelieving Roman soldier having a conversion uh, with a, uh, I mean, not a conversion, a conversation with an angel that would have been, to me, that would have been a, an interesting conversation. But are you, uh, and you are thinking, once the angel has his attention, well, why don't you just preach the gospel to him? But the angel says to Cornelius, go call for Peter. And when he comes, he's going to tell you and your family to get sa- how to get saved. And w- when the angel did that, because, or you could ask this question, why did the angel do that? Because God always uses people. That's the, that's the bottom line. So when you look in God's toolbox, he has some pretty unimpressive tools. That's you and me. Say that again. 
But I want you to know, us filled with the Holy Spirit is a winning combo and some pretty impressive tools. So now that the Holy Spirit, uh, we found out how he works in our lives, let me give you some takeaways that you can take home for this week. Number one, you are a distributor of the gospel. You and I are called to distribute to our friends, our neighbors, our families, the good news of Jesus Christ. Number two, the enormity of the task is what keeps us going, not the smallness of the task. That is why it's called the Great Commission. You know, the Russian Communist Party, uh, years ago, they, they found out how they could recruit more people to their cause by telling young people that the task was huge, almost impossible, but a task worth giving their lives for. And young people signed up by the droves for the Communist Party because People want to be part of something bigger than themselves. And I want you to know, I've looked at all the causes on the earth, and there's no greater cause than living for Jesus Christ and telling a lost world there's hope and help is on the way. So we go into all the world and preach to every person. And lastly, number three, great works are done by the combination of smaller parts. You can't do it, and I can't do it, but together... We can put our parts together, and with the power of the Holy Spirit, great things can happen. And let me just tell you this. You, I don't care if you're single. I don't care if you're married. When you partner in the body of Christ, when you start fulfilling the purpose that God called you to do, miracles, signs, and wonders can happen in your lives. There's nothing that can stop the power of God. All right, let's stand. There's a story from years ago about three stonemasons at a construction site. And they were asked by a reporter what they were building. The first one said, I'm chipping stone with an irritated voice. The second one said, I'm building a wall. And he pointed to the wall. The third one said, I'm building a cathedral. Listen, folks, guess what you're building? the kingdom of God. There's no greater cause. John 16, at the very end of the chapter, this is not on the screen, but just listen to these words. Jesus said, these things I have spoken to you, that in me you may have peace. Whatever's going on in the world, you can have peace. In the world, you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. Every head bowed, every eye closed. I'm here to tell you this morning, you're not here by accident. The Holy Spirit brought you here today. And it might be today you just need to to give your life to Christ. And the way we do it here is I'm gonna ask you to raise your hand in just a moment where you just know that pressure of the Holy Spirit, the conviction of the Holy Spirit is coming on your life and you can say, you know what, I know I've fought this long enough. I know the only way out is to serve God with all my heart. And as I ask you that right now, you know if that's you, but I'm going to ask you to raise your hand and say, that's me. I need Jesus in my life. Raise him high so I can see him. Don't hold back. Be willing to take a stand and be bold for Jesus. I see one, two, three, four, five hands. Okay, that's awesome. Okay, I'm proud of you guys. That takes guts to do that. Now, here's what we do here. You're not, you're not going to be singled out and embarrassed. We do this all together. So we pray this prayer. And even if you didn't raise your hand, you can pray this. 
and mean it in your heart. You believe with your heart, confess with your mouth, and you will be saved. So let's say this together. Father God, thank you for loving me so much that you sent your son, Jesus, to die in my place. I ask you, Jesus, to forgive me of all my sins, all my mistakes, and all my failures. Come into my life and be my Savior, my Lord, my boss, my friend, and my King. And by your grace and by your power, I will serve you for the rest of my life. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. Let's give the Lord a big hand. Now we're going to sing a song here, and if you gave your life to the Lord online, just, just write in the comment section so we can know. And let me just say this. If I can have all the altar workers come up here while we sing this song, you may have a need today. I don't know what it might be, but you do. And don't be afraid to go up and get prayer uh, together or by yourself. But people will pray for you, and we're going to believe God to do miracles. Let's sing this song together.